HavanaDeprived.com is proud to present Top 8 Magic Podcast with Michael J. Flores and Brian David Marshall. Brought to your ears thanks to FaceToFaceGames.com. Wow, this is embarrassing. So, we're really taking bad audio to new levels. I don't have my jackhammer soundboard here. I mean, my family is watching Big Brother in the next room and cheering for various competitions. So, I think that might that might pepper in some, ooh, ah, which is kind of like us on the the corner of gay and westerly. Right, and we might and we might get some random overheard racist comments from Big Brother, which would be like walking on the streets of Manhattan too. I mean, May. I mean, <laughs> CBS has to run a disclaimer every week now. <laughs> yes, we're CBS. These people are not of us. They are human scum. It's, Sorry. Uh, apparently, some of them were Maxim models before, so um, look pretty good. Look pretty good. All right. All right. Um. So. I actually normally wouldn't jump right into playing uh, Magic the Gathering, but right before this, I was just killing some time before the call, and so I was playing Moto, and then I saw you started watching me. <laughs> so, we can talk about my sweet deck if you want. Yeah, that deck looks awesome. Yeah, I I, I think we might get there. Um, yeah, I've been, I've been working on this, uh, you know, just started working on it tonight, although I've been, like, you know, Jerry Thompson notebooking it all week. Uh, it's... It's uh. Before you say what it is, okay. Is it is it safe to say that it is going to be Will Price's favorite deck in the new standard format for as long as it's legal? I mean, all the cards are going to be legal for the new standard format. I didn't even think about it that way. Oh, it plays Vampire Nighthawk. That that card's not going to be legal. Sure, and Vault of the Archangel is pretty important as well. I only have one actually. I just happened to draw it. That card seemed insane. Um, yeah, I have, a look, so I might go in a couple of different directions. I might also just play, like, a bunch of lifelink creatures. So, I might play, like, Titan Drinker and Blood Baron, but I was trying to play a more controllish version of the deck. Um, so you want, you want to, so why don't you just say what you saw? <laughs> so, I, I go over to, to watch Mike's match, and he's playing against someone playing Raphael Levy Green, right? Legion Land lost 2K13. Uh, you know, with the young wolves and rankers, and his opponent has a six-six scavenging wolves, an eight-eight silver, uh, a wolfier silverheart, a five-five young wolf, two-three-three beast token, three rankers on the wolfier silverheart. Twelve cards in hand, and twelve cards in hand. Mike and Garrick five. And, and no, well, he just sacked Garrett. Oh, okay, sorry. He just sacked Garrett to draw 12 cards, yep. or 8 cards. Mike is, Mike's board, Mike's got one card in hand, or two? two one. One card in hand. Yeah. He's got two trading posts in play. Two angelic accords in play. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just, like, and a Vault of the Archangel that's threatening to do something if Mike ever doesn't just use it on his own turn to tap the, uh, to, to activate his trading post. So, sorry, 
are you getting that noise? That's my Skype uh, chat for world catching up to this computer. Oh, I, I heard a dot, 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 but it wasn't a big deal. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so anyway, so Mike just basically is at, like, constantly at two until suddenly he's at 27 <laughs> with four angels, and his opponent has a crappy young wolf and three rankers in hand. I don't even know what happened. I mean, I made, like, gained eight life a turn and made two angel tokens. I mean, what's, <laughs> what is there to... What is there to, to map up? So, so the Dex and Angelic Accord deck, like, that's, like, the, the flagship deck? Yeah, I mean, like, I, I had, like, some com- competing ideas. Like, one idea I had was just, like, some of the creatures in the format are just so insane contextually. Like, um, say you're playing, like, I think one of the best decks in the format is, uh, is Van Hexproof, for example, right? And then, like, another yeah. one of the best decks in the format might be Raphael Levy Green, which just won the World Championships. Or another one of the best decks in the format might be, like, uh, Dragon Master Red Green, right? Yeah. All those decks are very bad against the cards Vampire Nighthawk um, and, to a lesser extent, Fiendslayer Paladin. Like, Vampire Nighthawk by itself, just straight up really, really a bad problem for for um, Van Hexproof and, like, a pretty bad problem for the other aggro decks. Like, Vampire Nighthawk versus Geist of St. Traft is, is no fight I've ever wanted to be in uh, when I was on the Hexproof side. Yeah. So, it's just like, well, I'm going to play, like, Fiendslayer Paladin and Vampire Nighthawk, and sometimes you gain four life. And <laughs> you can, like, activate the Vault of the Archangel. And then my deck also has a Bog Brew Witch combo. So I have, like, four Festering Newts, four Bog Brew Witches, and, and some, uh, and some uh, of the, the Cauldron to sacrifice my guys. Like, I mean, the pre- I think game one against him, I just killed him with the, with the Bubbling Cauldron. <laughs> I just, like, 16'd him with, uh, with Festering Newts while blocking, you know? And you just described my uh, draft deck for last night. Yeah, so, I mean, like, those gain four life, and that triggers Angelic Accord. And then you're like, it's pretty easy to gain four life if all you want to do is gain life. And, right. uh, you know, you just have Angelic Accord in play. It's like a Planeswalker. Like, it, it, it's the same. Like, it says, like, gain four life, put an Angel in play. But, I mean, I'm not even going full retard on, on cards I could be playing, right? We could be playing... We could be playing uh, Archangel of Thun, right? How many different lifelink triggers are we going to talk about in this deck? What if I just decided to play Blind Obedience, Tide the Drinker, and, uh, you know, one or two other pretty reasonable extort cards, like Syndic of Tithes? That's what I was actually going to suggest. I mean, you might have to do that with Vampire So, I mean, like, you just play these cards, and they're all very... Every one of those cards that I named, even if it's not popular, it's actually a very good card. Like, the, the Bog Brewage combo is surprisingly good in Standard. It's really, really surprisingly good. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I just like put out the newt, and like he had like a sweet draw in game one. He was just like Arbor Elf, uh, uh, Arbor Elf, like a uh, a uh, prim- was is it primordial lose or whatever the the GGG ooze that uh gets bigger is predatory. Yeah, predatory ooze. He couldn't even attack with his predator ooze because he, he didn't want to trade with my. You wanted to trade with my stupid festering newt. Like, no one would ever want to trade with their festering newt, right? But he, <laughs> he can't give you DI time. Eventually, I just drew Bog Brew Witch. I'm almost drawing two cards a turn while gaining four life. Like, it's, it's pretty bad. So, like, my deck has, like, it's not tuned yet. Like, I had, like, Terminus. I forgot to put Lingering Souls. Like, so obviously this deck would want to play Lingering Souls, right? Because, yes. I mean, like, Lingering Souls, Trading Post, 
Like two of the three, two of the four uh, abilities on trading posts are pretty good with lingering souls. Um, one card's like really surprisingly good also is Elixir of Immortality. Gains five life, so it triggers Angelica Chord, and it's actually I, I've been discarding it to my trading post instead of using it, so I could rebuy it with uh, like sacrificing a goat token. <laughs> if that's <laughs> how many uh, how many artifacts do you have to return in this trading post um, besides the Elixir? Uh, there's uh, three or four trading posts in the deck, and then also the bubbling cauldrons. Oh, right, right. Like, right. over time, the bubbling cauldrons cease to be useful, right? So you can sacrifice them to trading posts and do something like that. And, and then when you elixir it all back, you can mm-hmm. search them out with your... You re- reload the whole thing. Yes, I, I've only played, like, a couple of matches, but if, if your opponent doesn't kill you, you're just going to crush him. You, you need to ship this list to me because this is the only deck I'm going to play for the next two days on Magic Online. Yeah, I, I, I need to I've tune been, it a little bit. Like it, it's it's it has a lot of fours right now. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been playing the deck that Luis Scott Vargas wrote about on Daily Decks the other day. It's like four young pyromancers, four Delver of Secrets, and four Warrior Dryads. It's like Run Thumb. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean it's fun. It needs a little more land, but it's it's a lot of fun. Tragic Slip is unbelievable in this deck. Like, because you have the trading posts, you have the bubbling cauldrons. Your guys aren't very oh, wow. big, so sometimes they fight. You know? <laughs> right, right. Um, oh, man, you can, you can do a lot of You can kill a lot of fatties with a, on one turn with, like, a Festering Newt cauldron and Tragic Slip. Yeah, I had this draw. just, like, first turn Festering Newt, like, bubbling cauldron. Uh, first turn Festering Newt, and then second turn I just, like, cast a Sign in Blood, and then I just cast a bubbling cauldron. I have, like, a bubbling cauldron with, like, two mana open, and I just, like, block there, sacrifice my fresh string newt, kill that guy, tragic slip your wolfare silverheart. And it was just, like, a blowout. Wow. Like, I'm like, did I just gain four life as well? Like, (laughs) (laughs) wait, you took four? This is embarrassing for you. (laughs) It's really surprisingly good. And, I mean, the synergy between the cards is really powerful. Like, bubbling cauldron and... And Angelica Core, the only reason I thought about playing it is because you tweeted this picture from a draft or, like, from watching a pre-release or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was actually the inspiration of the deck. And I was just like, could this possibly be real? It's um, the only deck I look for when I'm drafting M14. I know everyone's, like, I know I can't draft an opportunity now because Sam Black wrote about it. Thanks a lot, Sam. I'll never be Mono Blue again. So I'm just like, I, and I don't even care about the on Brewage, I just want Cauldron Angelica Cord. What's the rarity on Angelica Cord? Uh, uncommon. I, I mean, this could be a deck. It could be like a real deck. I mean, I'm not sure yet, but... I, I mean, you're like, trading post Angelica Cord, you're invincible. You're just stone invincible. You have this card that says, like, throw down a card, gain four life, make a 4-4 four, four angel. Like, that's absurd. There was a turn where I was watching you where, I, I mean, obviously I'm not, you know, bagging on you. Like, I, you, you, you even said it's only the second time you played the deck. But, like, on your turn, you activated Trading Post and discarded a card. No, uh, no, no. I attacked oh, and used my, my Vault of the Archangel. Right. And then on his turn, I threw away my, my Elixir of Immortality uh, to right. the Trading Post. But if you do it in the other order, and you just, like, you don't attack and you discard the elixir on your turn, make two angels, because you have two angelic cords out, lucky guy, and 
then he can't, there's just no scenario where he can attack you with an active vault in the Arcane July. But what if, the way lifelink works. But what if he doesn't attack? The problem was, like, if he doesn't attack, then I can't activate my Vault of the Archangel, so I'm going to miss out on two angels. Yeah, but then if he doesn't attack, on your turn, you're able to attack him for... 16? 16 or something. Gain, gain all that life, and then get two more angels on your turn. And have a card in hand to discard to Trading Post on his turn, right? Like, the, the, the idea was, I think the only way you would get was if he draws some card, like, Revenge of the Hunted or something, that lets him just... Oh, screw up the block. Screw up the block, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I did a weird synergy uh, that I thought... I mean, I didn't play very many games, like I said, but apparently a lot of different stuff has happened since <laughs> since I played. Uh, I, I never thought saw this would come up. I activated Vault of the Archangel with Fiendslayer Paladin. Just because it gives a first striking guy death touch to like take down a wolf or a silver heart. Oh wow. I thought that was really cool, you know? That's actually awesome. Yeah. So because like it just it doesn't seem like it does anything, right? You're like, no, yeah. give it death touch. That's sweet. No, I I, I thought that I thought that looked uh, looked beautiful. obviously it needs a little tuning. Like what do you do against like a uh, can you do anything against um, Burning Earth? I mean, my deck has 12 basic lands. Oh, okay. Okay. When I, when I looked, all I saw was, you know, a rare binder, mana base. That's what I drew, I guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, maybe it doesn't have 12. I, I think I added Orzhov Guildgate, so um, it, it certainly doesn't need all the different non-basics, but I was a little bit wary of being able to cast Fiendslayer Paladin and, um, uh, or Vampire Nighthawk on turn 3. So, you know, I played, like, I guess I played 12 duels in order to accommodate that. Um, right. But I, I like both of those creatures. I think they're both pretty strong. Right. And then, assuming, assuming that when Theros comes out, we're just going to lose Vampire Nighthawk, um, you, can, you can just go with the Fiend Slayer and bias the deck a little more toward white. Sure. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff we could do. We could play, like, Syndic of Tithes and Wine Obedience and Angel at that point, right? Could you make the deck mono-white, actually? You probably can. And then you get to, you actually do get to run some, some board sweepers of some kind, right? Yeah, like, I mean... You, you could make it white-blue, right? Like, with a little bit of, uh... Like, think twice seems like it would be awesome in that pack. Oh, because of discarding and stuff? But think twice is gone, so... Yeah, I was just thinking about like the idea of just getting some, uh, getting getting something else in there. I like, I, but you said you had terminus in the deck. Yeah, I have main deck four terminus right now. <laughs> That's kind of awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I just threw in like whatever cards seemed like they would have fit the casting. Because I, I think I might just try the mono white version. Now that I said, like, what do we lose? Um, Vault of the Archangel. Uh, but Vault of the I, Archangel seemed pretty sweet, actually. I don't think I don't think you want to. Oh, no, no. I, I can't play Mono White. We would give up the Bog Brew Witch combo. Right, right. Well, nearly, oh, right, nearly Mono White. Yeah, you, got, you really want to be able to drop a, drop a Newt on turn one, though. Oh, yeah. Or cast Tragic Slip. Because you just need to be able to, to take out like, some stupid two drop. Yeah, I mean, like, like you go, like, they, they go, um, what do you call it? Uh, Strong Kirk Noble, right? And you go... Newt. I mean, 
you might have just stone not lost the game right there. Right. <laughs> like a second ago, you were going to lose the game. Now you're not going to lose the game. That's can you uh, can you alter Sharif instead of sign him blood in that deck? I mean, I could, but I mean, I don't have like infinite guys. Right, but um, yeah, I was just thinking with the bond brew. I mean, with the newts and with like the tokens. Like you're just chump blocking with the goat a lot of the time anyway. Just I don't know. It's just something I was thinking about. Yeah, I mean that that might be a possibility. Uh, it's pretty conditional. I, I mean, right now the deck is like bulging with cards you want to play. Right, um, right. Like I said, I forgot to play Lingering Souls. I mean, just, <laughs> oops. Yeah, this card would be insane in this deck. I just forgot to play it. Yeah. I, I uh, like I said, I am uh, automatically a big fan of this deck. I think Will Trace will love this deck. Yeah. Because it is black and white and involves life gain. I have Soren Lord of Innistrad in my sideboard. Okay. It sounds, I mean, just like from what I'm saying, obviously I can make this deck way better than I made it. Like, that was just the first pass. Right, right. No, I, I, definitely, I definitely want to tinker around with it myself. I'll, I'll you know, I, uh, I, I'm getting up, I'm in California, so I'm getting up way too early. You know, I'm up at like 6 o'clock, so I have a couple of hours to play, uh, play some magic before I get to work. Did you like that uh, that tweet that I sent where you're like, at the Fifth Planet Games office, we're discussing this. And I was like, what degree are you discussing having a cast tonight? <laughs> I, I, had, I had actually already discovered it. I am passing up on happy hour right now. I could be at a bowling alley drinking low-cost alcoholic beverages. Uh, but no, instead, I'm here with you podcasting. How many nights in your life have you had the opportunity to go out and have a drink? You know, a couple. A couple, one or two. Yeah, yeah, occasionally. You are entertaining the entire country of Canada right now. <laughs> All of Canada is tuned in. Yeah. A. They spell happy hour with a U there, you know. <laughs> we also spell happy hour with a U. <laughs> Hate to break it to you. <laughs> Don't tell them. There is a U in, in our happy hour as well. Exactly one U. Did you uh, listen to the new music they put onto uh, onto uh, the front of the podcast? So you weren't on the last one, um, the one that I did with Patrick Chapin. Uh, I said, well, if you're going to put like some random music at the beginning, at least put music that we approve of. So I think they put Liz Fair. Um, okay. Yeah. I approve of that. I definitely approve of that. So, I mean, you, you, know, you know how many of our podcasts I've listened to I since don't... we started doing this? How many? I've never listened to our podcast. <laughs> never in six, seven years? How, how long has it been? It's been... Uh, eight years, so actually. It's going on eight years. Eight years. You've never listened to one in eight years? No. I, I listened to back. all of them. Back. You just record it and then throw it up onto the internet and that's it for you? This is probably why the sound quality is never <laughs> <laughs> You're just like, you're like uh, I'm never going to have to listen to this. <laughs> Who cares about the sound quality? Hold one sec. Yes. So while, while Mike's away, I will ask you, listeners, uh, what what decks you took away from Standard from the World Championships and from Worlds Week and the World Magic Cup. You know, obviously, people were playing the crap out of the, the Kibler red-green deck. Uh, you know, I was talking about how the deck left the Kibler creator in the metagame in, in the coverage. Obviously, just 
you know, a huge, like, I, every time I'm playing someone on Magic Online, there's, you know, Flintoe Fours and, and, and whatnot uh, running around, Domery Raids and all the good stuff. Uh, I love, I love the green white that, that Brad Nelson, I mean, that uh, Huey Jensen actually uh, top-tued with at Star City event before. The, those were my Colonian Hydras, you know. Uh-huh. So this, so th- sweet. there's this, uh, uh, the Invitational was happening that weekend, right? So, um, like the week of the Invitational, I like text Josh. I'm like, are we a hundred percent sure we need Colonial Hydras? And he's like, yes, a hundred percent. I'm like, all right, I'm putting the order in. Then like, <laughs> like either the Thursday before the Invitational or the Friday morning of, he's like, you're going to be mad at me. <laughs> and I'm like, ah. I already paid for these Colonial Hydras. But, you know, at least Huey got some use out of them. Yeah. I mean, that, that, when that deck works, it looks... So what is that deck vulnerable to? Like, um, why, why wasn't that deck a bigger deal during Worlds? I mean, you can... So, like, the deck I've been playing up until this black-white deck, I mean, I've been, like, playing nothing but mono-red uh, in Standard. So the deck I've been playing is, like, all burn cards, Young Pyromancer... Uh, Chandra 4 and Thundermaw Hellkite yeah. and that green-white deck can never beat a deck like that. Like, my deck is nothing but Arc Lightning, whatever you go, Flames of the Firebrand. I have Geist Flame, Pillar of Flame, Four Shocks, and Chandra herself. Can't keep an elf in play. The problem is, if you can't keep an elf in play, you can't cast any of the fatties. Garrett Primal Hunter, uh, Garrett Hunt, Color Beast. He's never. a six. It's the board, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, like, and, and the thing is, like, a lot of the red decks you're playing, it's problematic to cast a card like <clears throat> Colonian Hydra. The deck that Sam Black was playing the weekend of the Invitational has, like, four main deck, Mark of Mutiny, and his five is Zealous Conscripts. So, the only way his deck kills creatures in the main deck, maybe he's got... Tragic slip, but his deck is like aristocrats, obviously, because he's sand black, and like eight threatens. So <laughs> he takes your colonial hydra, brains you for nine, and then sacks it to his uh, to his cartel aristocrat. I love it. Yeah, so I mean, like there are decks that are just eat eat this strategy alive. I mean, obviously, that's not a super popular deck. Like, Sam didn't do well in either the Standard Open or he didn't do well enough in the Invitational for that deck to be a notable deck right now. But there's non-zero amount of game against a deck whose strategy is to play a million elves and then cast some I-Win creatures. Right. I mean, you saw it. Like, uh, I mean, his plan B is Wolfier Silverheart. My opponent had Wolfier Silverheart against... The mighty black white angelica cord deck <laughs> didn't matter. <laughs> it's just like yeah, just a, a, a padded out draft deck you applied. So, um, somebody pointed this out to me on Twitter as well uh, after our uh, podcast. I think two times ago, we were where we were uh, talking a little bit about about unified standard, and I said that Rancor would be the oh, center yeah. of Unified Standard. How many Rancor in the top two teams' decks, Brian David Marshall? Yeah, no, they were both, they were both uh, Rancoring it up. Yep. Seven Rancors between the top two teams. feel pretty vindicated. And there was there, what, 11 Rancors in the, in, the, in the top four? 
Uh, I don't. I don't remember the. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's so weird to be do, when you're doing coverage because you see such a small sliver of the event at any one moment. You know what I mean? So I, you know, I only know what random course I saw when I was either covering a match or looking at a. Uh, you know, you know, being in the future match area or being in the booth. Yeah, but I saw a lot of rain. Uh, how sweet would the Hungarian top deck have been? So the, the, the it was like I think the not the winning man, but the guy basically has two underworld connections out, and he uses one and then doesn't draw what he needs, and then uses another one on his turn. But if he used it on his opponent's turn, he would have drawn. Uh, Miracle. Bon- he would have drawn bonfire. <sighs> yeah, which would have absolutely won it for him. But he drew the bonfire and just didn't have enough mana to use it for the win on his turn. And so, like, would that have been the greatest? Like, you know, we did that twenty moments, like the the, the great moments in coverage, video coverage history. Like, how insane would it be if a guy's like, go during your turn, activate my underworld connections, kill you. Yeah, that that would have been that would have been Craig Jones two K thirteen, huh? Even more than Craig Jones. Yeah, I mean it would be the best. I mean, I think it would have been the best top deck of all time. I don't know, you know. I mean, you have to you have to give yourself that opportunity, right? I mean, it depends how many outs does he have on his own turn versus like what's he got like two or three bonfires in his deck? Yeah, he had he had had a couple bonfires. Like he could have, I think, drawn a Thranktos and survived. Like, I mean, I think that's what he was. Like his mana was set up for him, it seemed to be with a thread cusp. Uh, but I don't know. It, it seemed pretty, pretty rough. Well, I guess we did. I guess we, we as spectators, were robbed of a great moment. Yeah. Did you, did you, did you ever, did you ever have that when you were doing the movie? Like. Did you ever just get mad at someone for not doing something that would have just been cool for a camera? I mean, the the entire Craig Jones versus Olivier Ruel match. All I did was bitch about Olivier's play <laughs> in the first three turns. <laughs> Shouldn't even be in this situation. <laughs> Why is he discarding? Oh my god. Tap your mana correctly. <laughs> I mean, it's just comical. One dude is a completely dominating set of creatures and an active Jide for several turns. And he loses to a chump blocking watch wolf and a handful, not even a handful of burn cards. Burn cards off the top. How do you even get right. in this situation? A deck full of burn cards. Like it's, it's like, you have an invincible creatures that never lose a fight in a Jide, unlike active for several turns. How does this happen? No, I'm not in the booth. Um, I, I think I, I'm so focused usually on just keeping track of what's going on and trying to figure out the psychology of the players that, that, uh, that I can't recall anyway, uh, a situation like that. Sure. But I'm sure someone will call me out on it. Actually, at the, the standard open in Las Vegas last year, when you were with Patrick Sullivan, you had mentioned that if he had played correctly, he would have blah, 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 blah. You know, sure. one of those, I mean, P. Sully and I commented, we thought it was weird that, that Glenn Jones left his locks out on Smiters in in a green mirror match. I didn't think that was very good. But that's not really the same thing. Not the same thing. I, I wasn't talking about, like, 
berating the players for bad players, like talking about, you know, not doing something that was going to, you know, be exciting for you as a commentator to talk about. Yeah. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep an eye out on that. We're out of miracles, though, after this year, right? I uh, I didn't really so I I had not heard your uh, call on the Antoine Ruel Kenji Samora match, and I didn't realize that we cut you off from a great line. Someone 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 uh, shared that with me on Twitter. Are you just kidding? You've never watched that? That's probably my favorite match I ever called. I I've, I've seen the clip. I've seen the the. You know the, that play, but I've never, I never. You basically, you say like Antoine danced him around the room and gave him a fake number. Yeah, that's that's pretty sweet. That that should have been in the clip. Only a guy who's been danced around the room and given a fake number a couple of times knows the pain. <laughs> um. Yeah. I I, I talked. I, I didn't talk to. Uh, it was Greg Collins's uh, birthday this week, right? Yes, yes. So uh, I emailed him. I'm like, let's get the band back together. So he says maybe next year, 2014. I, I said I, I, I don't really want to, like, commit, commit. But I was like, I want to do, like, a domestic constructed Grand Prix with Brian. Is this oh, doable? Yeah. That would be so awesome. Yeah. We, just, would have, we would have such a good time. Just one weekend. Um, yeah? Yeah. And I, he's, like, he's like, I think we could do something in 2014. Because the schedule is done for the year, so yeah, you can't can't jam me in at this point. But uh, I think I think first half of next year, uh, we've never done the booth together, right? So back in the day when I used to do it, you were my fill-in when I didn't come in, and vice versa. Right, 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 right. Yeah, we we used to toggle between domestic and foreign teachings. So I think it's going to be fun, Brian. Yeah, yeah, that would be uh, awesome. I would, I would really like to. Can we just, can we both just do color and have no play-by-play? I, I would, you know, we could actually get a play-by-play guy who's good. Like, you know, what if we just drafted like Patrick Sullivan? Oh. And he could do all the. Pa- can you imagine me, you and P. I, Sully? I, I, I think we'd have to have Patrick do. I could do play-by-play at that point. I'll let Patrick color. It's like me and or like Zach's pretty competent at play-by-play, right? He mostly does color. Actually, you know who's really good at play-by-play? Steve Satan. Sure. Oh, we get the whole topic magic. Uh... Yeah, me and Steve Satan. I, I think I think the people would love it. We get the cake crew back together. The cake. Crew. Speaking of the cake crew, GCB's headed out to Dublin uh, with no invite. But the last time he did that, he just won the LCQ, right? But there are no more LCQs. There's no LCQs anymore. Oh. <sighs> Damn. No, he just wants to, you know. He kind of just—he's got the fever really bad. You know, he gets the fever really bad sometimes. And I think he's, uh, you know, he'll probably get some kind of like press pass or something. But I think he just wants to, you know, immerse himself in some high level magic. He's a good player. He is. He is. He's, you know, uh, there's there's like a there's like a whole cadre of players who are just like, I would I would say like PTQN boss level players. You know, the Chris Mannings and, and the Gabe Carlton Barnes. And, I, I think know, Gabe is better Josh, than a PTQN Josh. boss. What's that? I think Gabe is better than a PTQN boss, personally. But, but what I'm saying is he doesn't he doesn't stay on the PT regularly enough that he's just like, if he's at the PTQ, you have to consider that you have to get past him at some point if you're going to win. Sure. You were going to say Josh is one of those people, too? Yeah, jo- I mean, Josh is like, you, you don't want to see Josh at the PTQ. 
I don't think I've ever beaten Josh in sanction. I, I did once, but it involved the locks and the wire. He was not happy. I mean, we, we started playing, I think, when... Uh, um, I think the first time we played was like maybe around 2003, and I really don't think I've ever beaten him in sanction. And the, the thing that's hella ironic about it is we played almost all 75-card mirrors, so... <laughs> <laughs> That's not very good for me. <laughs> You're saying it was just all luck. It's all luck. He, he always had the good deck. <laughs> so, speaking of having the good deck, we were uh, uh, at the Invitational. There's a bunch of insane DIs, you know, like uh, uh, Huey Jensen, who we mentioned earlier, and, and his whole crew, uh, Reed Duke, Josh, me, etc. We're, like, hanging out and talking about, like, being lucky and unlucky with split cards. And um, I was like, "Yeah, you know that one split card that uh, that uh, it's a shock on one hand, it's like a, a three mana uh, boomerang on the other one. What's the name of it? Dead Gone." Yeah. It's like I once flipped one of those off a of Bloodbraid Elf against the twenty twenty. So my opponent goes off with uh, with uh, the uh, Dark Depths combo. Gets the twenty twenty, and I'm like, one time dealer. I play my Bloodbraid Elf and flip a Dead Gone. Kill the twenty twenty, get in for three. I'm like, that felt pretty. Everyone's like, actually, like clapping and like, wow, that's pretty awesome. Like, I'm like, yeah, it's pretty awesome. Boomerang is twenty twenty, got in for three. Of course, he still won because. And then like Jerry's there, he's like, of course he did. That deck was insane. Yeah, just he just killed you with like uh, tokens. Yeah, tokens, yeah. <laughs> he's killing the tokens anyway. And I'm like, Josh, how come? How come I had this stupid blood rate of <laughs> deck? And he's like, we only had one set of, of Dark Depths. <laughs> Who knew it was going to be good? Dark, dark Depths is going to be good again, I think. Uh, because of Thespian stage? Yeah, and the new Legend rule. Yeah. I don't know. Legit combo decks are just going to kill that deck before, I think, before it can, can do anything. I'm, I, I want to I agree with you. I really, really do. But it's, I don't know, I just don't see it. Can't you just play it as a uh, as a combo deck? Like as a combo control deck? Like you just play it as like a creatureless win condition. You just like you attrition your opponent out. You do. You just take control of the game. Whatever their plan is, you adjust your dials. You're playing combo. You take apart their hand. They're playing creatures. You wrap the board, whatever. And then you're like end of your turn. The state. The, the Board is clear. Make a twenty twenty untapped. So you're like, you want to play like uh, intuition, thespian stage, dark depths, life from the loam, and in essentially a control show. Yeah, I don't hate that, but the problem is that the format right now, the best creatures are deathrite shaman and scavenging ooze. So it's it's pretty hard to to keep that strategy going. I think like so. What if, so what if you just play? You don't play it as a as a graveyard deck, what if you just like that's just going to be inevitably how you win? The the control decks in Legacy they aren't like really control decks the way that you no, think of control decks in. Excuse me. Is that only Legacy? Is is decks banned in Modern? I I don't know that it's banned. I'd have to. It might be banned actually. Yeah, which cards Nobody plays it. 
Like, they didn't ban Vampire Hex Mage, did they? Or maybe only. Well, if it's Legacy, then you can't do it. So, I mean, like, the... Like, the baseline green decks have... Have uh, Deathrite Shamans and Scavenging... So, people play Scavenging Ooze over Tarmogoyf half the time. He's... He's really, really good in Legacy. Like, if, he just shuts down Nimble Mongoose, stops Snapcaster Mage. He's he's got a lot of upside. So, yeah. um, it, I think that graveyard decks would be very, very robust otherwise. And so, I think the really effects graveyard decks are have to be incredibly fast, like Dredge and to a lesser extent Cephalid Breakfast. Because if you if you try to play a progressive graveyard plan, I think you're going to get outcarded. One of the sad parts of doing the Skypecast is I can look stuff up. So Dark Depths is most certainly banned in, in Modern. You could play a hell of a Dark Depths deck in Modern. Um, I mean, that's actually a format where I think a black-green Dark Depths deck might be very interesting. But it's banned. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> Jerks. Oh, man, I, and now you got me going. I think I would play, like... The uh, transmutes, you could play like shred memory. Shred memory gets life from the loam and vampire hex mage, and defends yeah. you against like other people's graveyard strategies. Yeah, yeah. Too bad it's banned. Yeah, it was, that might be why they banned it, right? This like, would be an insane deck. <laughs> transmute bottle the mixture for a sword. Or for dark, or for vampire hex mage, or for oh my god, Ugh. yeah, that that deck was so insane. That that might be that deck might have been better than like the the Cobblade decks were. I mean, it's pretty good. Like Jerry Thompson's really, really good at that point. I think that that's a like, which which do you think was better? Extended dark depths. Or I guess I was, was that even, was that modern Dark Depths? No, it's extended. Like, yeah, extended Dark Depths or standard, uh, like, Stoneblade, Cobblade, whatever. Um, wasn't Saito winning all those, all those, uh, extended Grand Prix with his Zoo and Super Naya Zoo or whatever at the time? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Saito made them look pretty mortal, I think. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't remember, I, you know. I, I don't remember the overlap there on those cards. It might tracks. have been a year earlier. I, I, uh, I mean, I remember being really impressed with Saito winning multiple Grand Prix in a row. Um, yeah. With and his just, nothing but treetop village attacking. Yeah, tuning his deck every week. Uh, you know, to, to adjust for the metagame, like adding lands to his deck, adding, adding, you know, one or two spells. I mean, it was, it was really... Very similar to what Jerry did with the with the Dark Depths deck, right? Like and and the Cobbling deck, right? Like where every week you saw the deck kind of morphing a little bit based on other advancements people were making against it. I I think both of those decks are great works of genius. I think um I think Jerry's is the greater work of genius in terms of of how unstoppable of a force it became over a relatively short period of time. And, I mean, to be fair, as I recall, didn't Lucas Seau play both combos in his gifts deck at the Pro Tour, though? He did. He did. Like, his deck wasn't focused in the same way that Jerry's was, but no, no. he actually did 
both of those cool things in his deck, you know, using a Gifts Ungiven shell. But I think I would have to say Callblade. I think Callblade is just the greatest, greatest standard deck since Necropotence. And um, one of the things that made it such a great work of genius is that uh, the reason that Stoneforge Mystic was allowed by Watsi is that they did not conceive of an idea of an of a dominant equipment deck with so few creatures. Right. So they, they assumed that if you were going to play a powerful equipment deck, that you would have to bog your deck down with a bunch of dirtles, right? Here's a bunch then, of idiots like, to carry swords. And then they were like, and there's no equipment that generates a creature to hold it when it comes into play. So, they, you know, they made made half that bed themselves. but <laughs> um. But the reality is, I think that the, the real essential genius of Callblade is that Watsi didn't conceive of an idea that, that a deck like this could exist with so few creatures. So they, they just filled this, this equipment deck with all kinds of insane cards like, you know, Jace the Mind Sculptor and, and so on. Yeah. Rather than, rather than uh, you know... Was, know, so core duelists to, to carry equipment. It was so disheartening when that deck would just go down to five cards and then crush you easily. Oh, because of like a squadron hawk? Yeah. It's just so like, oh, oh. Hmm, seven again, poor me. Um, let me ask you a question. So, you know, we were talking about just talking about Blade Callblade and Gulliver and all those Like, it's so interesting to me the sort of adjustments Wizards makes to formats through the releases over the course of, like, the two years that cards are in standard. Mm-hmm. Just, I gotta tell you, having played the last couple of days, played with a deck that is capable of making a turn one Delver, and seems to flip it, like, 60 or 70% of the time. I'm obviously exaggerating, but it just feels like I always flip it. Like, it's not nearly as devastating. Like, people just have so many answers now. Like, Delver's actually just, like, an almost fair card. It's like, you know, on the, like, it's like on the 51, 53% side of not fair. But it's so interesting to me how that card was just so backbreaking when it was first printed and first, like, in standard. And then as the formats evolve, you know, there's just enough pillar of flames and, you know, shocks and searing blazes and ratchet bombs and, you know, all this stuff that's available to, to, to sort of keep it at bay. Yeah, sure. I mean, even remember the original Wolf Run Green deck. I don't recall it playing Galvanic Blast, right? That was like a a mid-season replacement. Right, right. It was the house MD of uh, of deck tuning. You know, the 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 deck early on had had a ton of worm coil engines and and so forth. Less less of this uh, fast reaction. So, you know, the the concept of a Wolf Run Green deck, a la Paulo Vitor Damo de Rosa versus Brian Kibler in the finals of, of Pro Tour Honolulu with all these like fast reactive cards and Huntmaster of the Fell is a very different animal than Delver early on. And if, you know, of course Delver early on's got Ponder and, and Mono, but there's nothing worse than opponent just first turn Island Delver, you do whatever dirtle thing you do. He untaps and just reveals a Monoleak and then draws his card, plays his land and swings for three. You know, you've lost the game already, right? Like, it's, it's, it's over. <laughs> so I, I've done that with this with this deck, 
where the card I reveal is Spell Rapture. And uh, you don't lose that game when you reveal a Spell Rapture off the turn one Delmar Secrets. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's mana leak. They have to pay three. Yeah, it's a... Uh... But, I mean, at least that's way more conditional, right? Like, Delver could be forced into playing control games sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. No. But, alright, I'm going to go play some Wiffle Ball. Now, here in the office, I'm going to put that game opposite this week. Literally play Wiffle Ball, like, with a ball and a bat? We have a Wiffle Ball court in our office. Actually, I have something to take up with you. Why would you dangle in front of me so that I would dangle in front of our listeners the idea that you would interview Luis Scott Vargas if you were not going to interview Luis Scott Vargas? I can't even tell you what... I mean, I had a great time in Amsterdam. I'm not complaining about a week in Amsterdam. But holy crap, that was a long, hard week. It was was really just like we were just constantly working the days. I, I assumed that with six rounds a day, you know, that we would be done, you know, we'd be like, get to like six thirty, seven o'clock, and then we'd be done, you know, but we, we weren't working out of there until 10, 30, uh, 11 o'clock at night. We, you know, then we're a half hour tram ride away from the hotel. It was like, it was just a grueling, uh, it was, it was a pretty like grueling week of work, uh, that just didn't lend itself to anyone wanting to talk about magic or basketball or comic books uh, on a topic that, but like, least of all me. I was just kind of like, so I apologize. It's all me. I was just like, holy crap. I am, um, you know, it, it was just, uh, it was, it, we, we, we put a lot of, uh, we, we left a lot of sweat on the floor for that show. What'd you guys do, like a million concurrent viewers? Uh, a million unique views. I, you know, I don't know what the nomenclature was, but between between us and between uh, Nico Nico, there was you know like I mean the number we we shattered previous numbers for unique viewers for the U.S. for the like for the daily MTG stream. Wow, that's just absolutely just, staggering. It, yeah, it was unbelievable, and Nico, I mean, Nico numbers are just ridiculous I mean, as well. Like you know, when you consider that our numbers are you know whatever half a million. Or six hundred thousand, or however many unique views it was, you know, comes from all over the world. And then in Japan, it's just like, yeah, we got a couple hundred thousand unique views from Japan, <laughs> and everyone paid five dollars to watch it. What? Yeah, it's like their Nico Nico Nico's like their YouTube, but it is very very specifically for otaku for like fan stuff, like really kind of like with a you know. Like anime and gaming and you know uh, you know manga talk and it's like all for like video channels dedicated to really like more you know to to, to use not to use the term pejoratively but more nerdy Spanish stuff and everybody who's on it pays like five dollars a month to be on to watch the channel. Wow. Yeah, it's insane. I mean, there's clearly some serious problems with Magic the Gathering. The Mythic Rares are ruining Magic. The packs <laughs> cost too much. I mean, have you seen the tournament entries? Why is a standard tournament cost as much as a limited tournament? Watsy is doing everything wrong. Yeah. Star City is doing everything wrong. We gotta go back to the days when... 
I don't know. Loxodon Hierarch was the best card. And you know, and you know what? LSD would still be the best player. <laughs> he was good at that card. Uh, yeah, we, we should, you know, I blame DCI Reporter. I think once we introduce, you know, I don't think, I, I think all Magic tournaments should have Perrin shouted out by a judge. That's how I think it should go. I think that's, that's when Magic took its first wrong turn. I actually watched some of my old videos from uh, not that long ago uh, this week. And I had to tell you, I, I have a, a, fond, a fond spot in my heart for playing, like, mono-white control with Ink Moth Nexus and playing these long games against Cawblade or, or against Boros where you get a scratch in and then you win with Proliferate ten turns later while defending yourself with all his dust. I mean, I, I don't know. I actually really like Magic like that a lot. <laughs> You should uh, you should do some videos with this angelic accord deck. Yeah, because I don't think I honestly at five or six different points during watching that last game, I had uh, Brandon Shield with me. Yeah, we were both watching, and we're like, "Oh, okay, I guess he's dead." And then Brandon would go back to his desk and start working. Yeah, and then I'd laugh. He'd like, "Oh, what?" And I'm like, "Oh, he's yeah, Mike just." Uh, and he's like, oh, next game? I'm like, no, same game. He's like, wait, Mike's still alive? And then he'd come back and he'd watch. And, you know, it'd be something. And then we're like, okay, I think Mike's dead. You know, the guy played like three rancors on a, on an 8-8 or something. And we're like, and he'd, be good. And he'd be like, okay, I guess Mike's dead now. And he'd go back to his desk. And then, like, five minutes later. So, like, that deck was a lot of fun. It was really kind of like, it was definitely rope-a-doping, you know? It was like, oh, he's on the ropes. He's beating him up. He's taking body blows. And then all of a sudden, you just, like, come out of the, come out of the gates just, like, Jabbing and haymaker. Like, and I think Angelic Accord looks like a card that looks like a win more. You know, we dismissed it when, when we did the, our initial, our initial oh, review yeah. of M14, but it's not. It's like a planeswalker. It's this thing that generates a tremendous amount of value for no mana as long as you fulfill a certain condition. Right. And what I thought was very interesting about it that you, sh- that you demonstrated for me during that match is the idea that it's. You know, assuming you have an outlet for it, it's something that you can do on each turn. Oh, yeah. I, I, I was very conscious of building a deck that could activate it twice if possible. Right. Yeah, so. Yeah, I, I send me, in fact, when we're done with this, email me that list because I want to play with it. And I mean that in both sets of words. I want to play in the deck, but I also want to, you know, tune the numbers. Yeah, I, I, I think it might be the, I mean, is it just wrong to play, like, the creatures, do you think? I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like, I just like played Fiend Slayer Paladins, and they seemed awesome. I mean, I wonder if you could just play it with like Esper colored, and just play like Wraths. Just like play like six, seven Wraths, and uh, and then like the only way you'd have creatures is like the Angelic Accord trading post combo. Sphinx's Revelation. Or, or Sphinx's, and Sphinx's Revelation, yeah. You could do that as well. Oh my god, Sphinx's Revelation. Draw, draw four cards, make two angels, and two angelic cards. Yeah. Like, Gotta blow oh, your mind. Oh my god. That's, that's everything I want to do in magic. Uh, I, I'm about to blow your mind. It's happy with my 4-4 four, four angel. Block, don't block, I don't care. Prior damage. Azorius Charm. Charm. Yeah, my guys came like when. Let's build this. This seems much better. We can still play Lingering Souls. But then, I, I mean, 
Now this deck doesn't have a bog brew witch combo anymore, does it? I, I thought the I thought that the bubbling. Like one of the things I thought was kind of clever was if I just have if all I have is the bubbling cauldron or whatever, I can attack you with an angel, do four, and then sacrifice the thing to gain four right. life. Then I just get another angel back, and it's unblocked. I mean, so it's untapped. So it's just like I got vigilance. Right, right. <clears throat> like build your own bad bane slayer. Yeah, I'm I'm all for this. I think we should. Uh, I think we should. Uh, I, I think we should at least consider Esper. I mean, it seems like just like the ability to just supreme verdict. You know, like, have terminus, Brian. All right. Do you know what card this deck could never beat in a million years? Planar cleansing. It's over. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. In fact, I kept thinking a couple times during the game, you're tapping it like, oh, is he planar cleansing? And I'm like, oh wait, that would be terrible. <laughs> Atrocious for me. Yeah, and so you need yeah you need a little bit of negate mana. So I I need Boros Charm. <laughs> All my cards gain uh, indestructible. Too many colors now. All right, look, I'm almost up and with the ball. I gotta go. Uh, so anything you want to tell our listeners to do? Um, let's see. Be kind to each other. Oh, so I saw this thing from Ashton Kutcher at, like, the Teen Choice Awards, and I actually think I might try to rewrite my life uh, based on an awards speech at the Teen Choice Awards by Teen Heartthrob Ashton Kutcher. What do you think? Uh, I've seen a couple people talking about this thing. I haven't seen the speech. So Ashton pretty much comes up. He, He comes up, gets onto the stage, and says, I'm a fraud. My name isn't even Ashton. My name's Chris. And he's like, they just made me Ashton when I became an actor, but I have become Ashton until I was like 19. And while I was Chris, you know, I hauled shingles up to roofs. I, you know, swept up factories. I was a waiter, blah, blah, blah. And then until I got opportunity and then I became Ashton, he says, but what I learned as Chris is that opportunity is just hard work. And then he said, um, he said that the, People are, like, always talking about being sexy. Sexy is BS. It's just this word that people use to make you feel less. All people, all that really matters is, uh, the sexiest thing is being smart, and all people really care about is being kind. So he basically said, like, be smart, kind, and generous, and work hard. And, uh, as I thought about it, you know, I've always fancied myself as funny. And I thought about, like, maybe other people don't always think that it's funny when I make fun of them and make them cry. Uh, what do you think about that? I, do you think, I, what, is it I, possible that Ashton is right? I think that uh, you and I have had variance on this conversation for many years. <laughs> <laughs> but Ashton, or Chris, as I like to call him now, yeah, did it at the yeah. Teen Choice Awards. Yeah, no. I mean, it... I, I mean, you, you know that, you know my philosophy. I mean, I, I really just generally feel like you want to, you know, help people up doing things that they're interested in doing, uh, that you always want to be supportive of people who are making an effort to do something good, you know, creative, positive, just are looking to put stuff out in the world. That's actually really important to me. Like, I, I think that the, that especially in our community, people get shot down so much. Yeah. And I think that if you just try, like, I think, so your cartoon isn't as beautiful as if Charles Schultz drew it, right? You know, like, 
nobody's is, you know, but trying, the act of trying, the act of, you know, trying to make something and share your ideas and so forth, I think is powerful in a sense that you're creating something, you're creating value that other people can enjoy and consume. And they, like, that, I think that's why I, I dislike negativity so much. Because, like, they're just, like, shoot down people, and fewer people try when you do that. Right. No, absolutely. And, and, and the reality is nobody, you know, there's just this expectation of instant uh, perfection, you know, when people try to do stuff now. Like, it's such an immediate feedback world. Everyone has a say. Everyone gets to jump on the forums and post something. Everybody can tweet. You know what I mean? Like, there, there's not that same kind of opportunity to sort of craft yourself and to, to, like, learn. and. You know, not and not everybody responds well to that negativity. Yeah, not not every Angelica Chord deck is going to be good the first time out. Yeah, oh, that's that's the worst. The worst thing in the world is when you're like in the in the casual, like the tournament practice, and you're just trying a deck out, and like nothing makes me want to make a deck work more than someone just like going, "That shit, that deck doesn't work. What the hell are you doing?" It's like, dude, it's a first pass. I just put sixty cards in a deck. I don't even have a sideboard built yet. I mean, I beat you, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Uh, so, you know, I, I hate that, like, kind of like, where people, you know, it's like, you could, you know, there's another way to ask, right, you can go, oh, that's kind of a, that's kind of an unusual deck choice, you know, don't you think that Pillar of Flame, which is so prevalent right now, might make that deck bad? Like, what, what, what makes you think that deck will work? How, you know what I mean? There's, there's just two, you just don't have to get angry at somebody for trying something. Which is what it always feels like. I mean, a few months ago, I was I was made this Gates deck in Standard, so it's just like you know, ten gate. It was like basically a red, white, blue control deck that just happened to have like ten gates and mazes end in it, right? So playing this Gates deck, and I'm playing in the tournament practice room, and this guy's playing like I don't know, blue, black, or some sort of control deck, and I don't know, I just destroy him in two games because he just could never beat me, right? Like. No matter what he does, he can't stop my Gates combo. You know, his deck does not have cards necessary to beat my Gates combo. So he starts like bitching and wailing. He's like, he's like, well, this is supposed to be a tournament practice room, and I don't understand how you think you could perform in a tournament. Blah blah blah. I'm like, all right, dude, beat you. <laughs> and uh, so I'm like, all right, I'll go play in a tournament. So I just went and played in a tournament, and I beat GCB. <laughs> Ever beating a yeah, yeah, he was yeah, wasn't happy. <laughs> so like, so I chatted him. So I chatted him, and he like ignored my chat. So then I called him, <laughs> and he's like, "Dude, <laughs> can't believe you're playing a Gates deck." I'm like, "Yo, have your phone number." <laughs> I mean, when you're just talking about that, that sort of, like, you know, encouragement and, and positivity, I, I don't know if I've ever told this, I related this uh, writing anecdote on the podcast before, but it's from Lawrence Block. He's one of my favorite crime writers, but also writes a lot about writing. He's written a number of books about writing fiction. And, you know, he's just talking about how he always gets approached at parties by people going, hey, you know, I want to write a book, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, so, like, he's at some cocktail party and some his accountant, I think, comes up to him and is like, man, I really want to write a book. I have this great idea. And he's like, you should just write a book then, you know, just do it. You should write a book. That's, that's great. I think you should do it. 
six months go by, nine months go by, you know, New York social circles, whatever. He doesn't see the guy, runs into him at another party. And the guy's like, ah, oh, I totally took your advice. He's like, well, what do you mean? Like, yeah, I quit my job and I wrote a book. And he's like, you what? He's like, yeah, I quit. I just quit. I didn't want to do it anymore. I want to be a writer. I wrote a book. He's like, I was really hoping you were going to be here. I have it with me. Would you read it? And Lawrence Block is like, I don't want to read this guy's terrible book. <laughs> <laughs> you know? He's like, uh, yeah, but, you know, he feels guilty. He's like, of course, yeah, of course I'll read it. He, uh, he takes it home, he reads it, and it's terrible. It's absolutely abominable. It's everything that's wrong with someone's first novel. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's, it's not coherent. It doesn't have a strong voice. You know, there's structural problems. But, you know, like, it's a pretty good idea. You know, there's a good idea here, but he just kind of just avoids the guy <laughs> for a few months again, doesn't see him. And then he runs into him at a party and he feels terrible. Like, he goes up to the guy and he's like, listen, I, I feel really bad that we haven't talked, but I, and the guy's like, no, 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 don't, don't worry about it. That book was shit. I, I realize now, you know, it was terrible. I've written another book and I brought it with me and I'm hoping you'll read it. <laughs> so now he ends up taking the guy's second book home. And he's like, I guess I have to read it. He's like, yeah, I gotta say, he, he, I mean, it's still bad, but you know, he really like his structure is much better. And oh, I really like a couple of things with his character, you know, whatever, you know, whatever. Like, and then uh, he's like, and then he's like, right, long story short, he's like, you probably have two or three of this guy's books on your bookshelf. He's a best-selling author today. I'm not going to tell you his name. He's like, but this guy is a best-selling novelist. You know, and it's that idea of like that, you know, if you're just like really passionate about something and you're serious about it, you know what I mean? Not just like, you know, like, it's not just like writing a crappy book and being proud of yourself, right? It's being writing a crappy book and being able to look at it and kind of go, what did I do wrong? How could I have been better about this? You know, that that's not, you know, would that guy have been rewarded by having someone go, listen, you should go crawling on your hands and knees back to your accounting firm and beg for your job back. If you have to start in the mailroom, start in the mailroom, but you are not a writer, sir. You know, that's that's just not going to accomplish anything for anyone. It's, it's, it's funny you, you say that, because, um, you know, your friend and my Twitter follower, Brandon Sanderson, said, you know, well, you know, some people are like, oh, I don't really have time to write as much as I want, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, can you write 200 words a day? Can you write 250 words a day? And they're like, oh, yeah, maybe I could write that much. He's like, yeah, good. Then that means you can kick out more than a novel every year. If yeah, you uh, that's, just. That's if you... interesting because that's something also Lawrence Block also says. He talks about writing. Uh, writing, like, he writes five pages a day, regardless of what he's doing. Like, he gets up in the morning, and at like 10 a.m., he sits down at his computer, and he writes five pages. Sometimes he writes more, he never writes less. And he may or may not use them, but he always writes five pages. And he's like, at the end of the year, I've written 1,500 pages. Yeah. He also releases more than one book a year. Yeah, I mean, um, Stephen King talks about the, the regularity of writing and how many how many uh, words a day you have to write in order to uh, to call yourself a writer as well. I think that's a pretty, a pretty common refrain among people who are, you know, to whatever degree you want to call them successful, right? But published authors who are, who are making their living, uh, both doing this and talking about it. Um, and really, it seems like what you're saying is that 
consistency and the desire to kind of put your shoulder to the grindstone is more important than ambiguous things like talent that well, I don't know what they're saying I think I think they're saying that if, if you are of a certain level of you know inspiration and and uh, you know an ear for dialogue that you can polish yourself into a good writer you know what I mean like if you have stories to tell you're a storyteller you can polish yourself to, to become uh, a writer you know if you, if you pay attention to what's you know strong and what's weak and what you do. And, and I think what's really interesting about all that is when you think about Lawrence Block and you think about Stephen King, and to a lesser extent Brandon Sanderson, because he's like a little bit of a more modern era of writer, is those guys were doing it at a time where it was like there were whatever, I mean, more so big publishing houses, but far fewer outlets if you were not. Oh, for sure. So the idea right now is that you can write something and go and put it online and hit the Twitter pavement and hit the social networking pavement and, like, do something that you really want to do and make a go of it. Like, I mean, Mark Young, I've got to give that guy, you know, I don't know how many, you know, Magic listeners here remember Mark Young. He was a Star City Games columnist. He was the first premium writer. Yeah. You know, he's just, like, you know, he's someone who, he's like, man, I want to write a novel. And he wrote a novel, and he published it, you know, on, you know, digitally. And... You know, he's been, uh, you know, it's been going pretty well for him, from what I understand. So, this is actually something interesting, you know, uh, kind of worlds colliding sort of thing. A few months ago, you called me up and you said, oh, did you hear about this thing called the Mongoliad? And I'm like, the Mongoliad, what's that? It's just like, Neil Stevenson felt like he didn't know enough about sword fighting. So him and a bunch of other dudes in Seattle decided to become sword fighters and then write books about it. And I'm like, what? So they wrote this, like, historical fiction stuff about, you know, medieval swordsmen. And it's, like, not just Neil Stevenson, who's my favorite writer. but It's like, it's like Greg Bear yeah. and Greg Bear's son, right? Yeah, it's just, and dudes who, like, this is, the, this is like, a Holly, like a Hong Kong stunt choreographer who they met learning how to fight kendo. And so they let him be a writer. Is like literally, it's them and their buddies. And you, can, it, I, I think I can tell some of the parts that Neil wrote himself. But um, it, it's published all under one name, you know. Um, so I read this, and like, so they published three novels through uh, Amazon's open source thing, which were fabulously successful. For them. So they're like the flagship of the Amazon publishing house now. Go figure, you know, you have this guy who's like a legitimate New York Times bestselling author and other noted authors and, you know, they're adding their names to this thing. And they're like, yeah, let's just do this thing over at Amazon because cool, you know. Uh, and so I'm going to try to uh, look up some of the short stories that take place in their universe. But they actually opened up their their shared universe for the Kindle worlds. Right. So. I can't even find stuff that Neil wrote easily because <laughs> there's just dozens of these books that people just know, like, oh, I'm going to write about the assassination of the Duke of Orange and <laughs> I'm just going to throw it up in Neil's universe. So there apparently there are tons of these things that Amazon is allowing now. The Valiant Universe, when, in 1992 or something, I was gaga over the Valiant Universe, you know, Jim Shooter and so forth. And so Valiant, I mean, 
they opened up their their uh, their universe for for Kindle Worlds as well. So I I think people are doing less comics, but they're just doing like kind of prose fiction there. But actual New York Times bestselling authors are just like fanficking in the Valiant universe. It's what? it's insane. Like they're like, oh yeah, I'm gonna write one now, and it actually kind of reminds me of this this story. Um, what if Magnus Robot Fighter got bitten by a beautiful vampire? <laughs> <laughs> I think that might have actually been one of the original shooter stories. Uh, but Magnus Robot Fighter is no longer in the Valiant Universe. They lost the gold key license. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so Dark Horse actually has uh, Turok, uh, Solar, and Magnus, I believe. But they still got Exo Man of War. They've got the Harbinger kids. Uh, so, uh, serious story, my, my, right? My Harbinger kids Twilight crossover <laughs> is going up on the Kindle store any day now. So, um, so, uh, so there's a, a friend of mine who, uh, I talk about sometimes he's in, in film school and he had the opportunity to meet Kevin Smith. So this is Kevin Smith, uh, prior to his daredevil story, uh, that came out in what year was it? Like 98 or something. Yeah. When, you know, obviously Kevin Smith became a, a fairly noted comic writer at some point, you know, writing Green Hornet, Daredevil. Uh, I think he did some Batman. Anyway, so my friend goes up to talk to him, and uh, he tries to talk to him about being, like, a lapsed Catholic, about, like, X, Y, and Z, and he... he and like Kevin Smith's not like feeling any of it, and he's like, he's like, oh yeah, and like I know you're a comic fan. I'm a big comic fan. You know, I've gotten a couple of books published at Marvel. So Kevin Smith like starts going, God, and he's like, how did you get published at Marvel? And this is a dude who he's at this point already done Clerks and Mallrats, right? And <laughs> he's had Stan Lee in his movie, but he can't get a book at Marvel. <laughs> but it's amazing now that we have these uh, these these uh, publishing opportunities. You can actually go out and if somebody told me in like '92, like, oh yeah, you can go write a Harbinger Kid story or a, oh my Archer and Armstrong was like my favorite. I I love Barry Windsor Smith, but you can go write you can go write Archer and Armstrong. I'm like, oh, Archer? You mean the highly accurate Harbinger and Armstrong, the drunk immortal brother of Galad Anipata? I mean, it would be going insane, and anyone can do it now. You can channel your passions, and people will give you money for it, apparently. Yeah. It costs money to read these people's uh, not Neil Stephenson Four World Saga books. Hey, I don't know if you knew this, Mike, but if you really are passionate about magic, people will pay money to write about it. Really? Yeah. I've been doing it for free for 20 years. <laughs> That's that's less of a joke than uh <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I actually do need to go. But uh I I wanna talk more about this topic next week. Sure. This is something that's very interesting to me. And I kinda wanna talk about it in relation to magic and comics and you know, all this kind of stuff that you and I have surrounded our lives with. Alright, so uh closing words. Uh Live with passion and channel your passion into things that will potentially give you money while simultaneously being uh, smart, generous, and kind. And if you don't write anything, log on to LOHgame.com and kill some time playing Legacy of Heroes. So, uh, that's uh, me, Michael J. Flores, and Brian David Marshall. Uh, go buy official Miser's Guides at Star City Games and Decades at Top 8 Magic and Amazon. Um, and uh, we will be very happy. A.
All right, thanks. Later, Mike. Bye.